Welcome back to the Yukon Internal Medicine Ambulatory Podcast. I'm Katie Klibanoff Dombrowski, a second year internal medicine resident, here to discuss this week's topic the red eye. So let's take a journey to look at the eye, but hopefully without the jet lag. Today we'll discuss the history and physical pertaining to the red eye, the differential diagnosis of red eyes, which require an ophthalmology consult and which can be managed in the primary care setting with a special focus on conjunctivitis. Before we take a closer look, sorry, can't help all the puns, it's important to review the anatomy of the eye to understand the various pathologies. I'll try to walk you through some of it as we go, but diagrams are always best. Interestingly, you'll see that most of the pathologies deal with inflammation of various portions of the eye. For example, the conjunctiva, or the most superficial layer of the eye. Well, when that's inflamed, you get conjunctivitis. Then there's episcleritis. This is localized inflammation beneath the conjunctiva and adjacent sclera, or the white of the eye. Next, we have keratitis, which is inflammation of the cornea, or the clear dome over the iris. This is the anterior portion of the sclera. And we have aritis, endophlemitis, and anterior uveitis. Well, those are all synonymous. This is inflammation of the anterior chamber, which includes the iris, the pigmented portion of the eye, and may also include the ciliary body, which is the ring-shaped muscle that changes the shape of the lens when the eye focuses. Lastly, there's blepharitis, inflammation of the eyelid. Part 1. History and Physical and how it helps us to build a differential. Let's start with the basics. What eye are we talking about? OS stands for oculus sinister, which is the left eye. OD is oculus dexter, or the right eye. And OU is oculus euteric, which is both eyes. So now that we know what eye we're referring to and had a little Latin reminder, let's talk about a general assessment and how it will help us build our differential. First, we want to assess the periorbital structures. We want to look at visual acuity, presence of photophobia, look at the pupil, assess discharge, look at the pattern of redness. For example, is it focal or diffuse, unilateral or bilateral? Conjunctivitis, for example, is diffuse. It can be one or both eyes. Subconjunctival hemorrhage, on the other hand, is unilateral, bright, and there's a red focal area of the conjunctiva. Next, you want to assess the cornea. A normal cornea is clear and smooth. If it's opaque or deformed, it could represent trauma or keratitis. Then you want to look at the anterior chamber. If there's a layer of white cells, this may be a hypopion, which could represent keratitis. Hyphema is a layer of red cells, which may represent trauma of the globe. This is a quick preview of certain ocular emergencies. Both hypopion and hyphema require ophthalmology referral. We can better look at the eye in the outpatient setting as well with fluorescent stain and wood lamp. This is an optic solution that's poorly taken up by the cornea epithelium, but it reveals epithelial defect because it stains the base of the membrane. It's yellow to the naked eye, but a cobalt blue with an ophthalmoscope or a slit lamp. If someone has preauricular lymphadenopathy, this represents an infection. You also want to look at extraocular movements. If there's pain or limitation of movements, this could represent orbital injury with entrapment or compression of muscles involved in ocular movement. 
For example, if someone has an inferior orbital fracture, they might get diplopia, limitation of gaze, or tethering. Just a reminder, some of these are very concerning findings and require ophthalmology immediately. Those would be pupils, if they're asymmetric or non-reactive, the presence of ciliary flush, copious or rapidly progressive discharge, qualitative loss of vision, or corneal opacity. So now that we know some basics regarding the anatomy, how to conduct a basic eye exam, let's discuss the differential diagnosis for red eyes. Part two, the worrisome red eye. These are all the diagnoses that require an ophthalmology consult. First is trauma, which may be in the setting of recent ophthalmologic surgery. Patients here could develop bleeding or endophthalmitis, which remember is the inflammation of the vitreous or aqueous humor. It may lead to globe rupture, traumatic aritis, corneal abrasion, or infectious keratitis, to name a few. You also want to ask for exposures to airborne objects like metal or wood chips, exposures to certain chemicals, acids, or alkaline substances. Acids usually only damage the anterior structure, but if they damage the cornea, they could cause blindness. Alkaline chemicals are highly caustic and you need to immediately irrigate the eye with water or saline before emergent referral to the ED or an ophthalmologist. On exam, these patients often have loss in visual acuity or corneal opacity. Next up is acute angle closure glaucoma. This is elevated intraocular pressure. It's caused by narrowing or closure of the anterior chamber angle. This is part of the eye located between the cornea and iris, which contains the trabecular meshwork. The size of this angle is an important determinant of the rate of aqueous humor flow out of the eye. Therefore, the smaller the angle, less flow, and more intraocular pressure. This is an ocular emergency because it can lead to optic nerve damage. It's most common in older patients, women, those with a history of hyperopia or farsightedness, and it presents with severely painful red eye, photophobia, nausea, vomiting, halos of light, and blurred or loss of vision. On exam, the eye is firm. This is because of the increased pressure. It's diffusely red with a ciliary flush. This is due to dilated deep conjunctival and episcleral vessels, and it casts a violet hue, best seen in natural light. And lastly, the pupil may be dilated or fixed or poorly reactive. Next, we have scleritis or inflammation of the white of the eye that surrounds the entire globe. This is often associated with autoimmune diseases, like rheumatoid arthritis, granulomatosis with polyangitis, reactive arthritis, sarcoidosis, and IBS, or infections like syphilis or TB. It typically presents gradual and onset with severe boring pain, worse at night with extraocular movement, it may be associated with photophobia and visual changes, and the eye is diffusely red and may take on a blue or purple hue. Then we have anterior uveitis, or iritis. This is inflammation of the uvea, or the pigmented layer of the eye, lying beneath the sclera and cornea. It's comprised of the iris, choroid, which is the middle layer of tissue in the wall of the eye between the sclera and the retina, and ciliary body. Anterior uveitis may be associated with rheumatological diseases like spondyloarthropathies, 
infections like syphilis, TB, Lyme, toxoplasmosis, CMV, and HSV. Or medications like rifabutin for MAC, Sidofavir, which is used with perbenicid to treat certain viral eye infections like CMV in people with AIDS, sulfas, Bactrim, Glyburide, and moxifloxacin. Symptoms include a red, painful eye and consensual photophobia. What is consensual photophobia, may ask? Photophobia can be direct, consensual, or both. Consensual photophobia refers to pain with light shown in the unaffected eye. This occurs in anterior uveitis due to inflammation of the ciliary body, which is involved in pupillary constriction. Physical exam reveals ciliary flush, possible hazy interior chamber, or hypopium. Then there's keratitis, also requiring an ophthalmologic consult. This is corneal inflammation of the most anterior portion of the eye. There are non-infectious and infectious causes. Non-infectious causes are from contact lens use, especially if the patient is sleeping with them in or rinsing them in tap water. It's also very important for removal of the lens for evaluation and relief. Other non-infectious causes of keratitis are corneal abrasion, foreign body or trauma. Some infectious causes of keratitis are bacterial infections from staph or strep typically, or viral infections from herpes zoster, varicella zoster, EBV, or CMV. It presents as a painful red eye with a foreign body sensation, photophobia, decreased visual acuity, and mucopurulent discharge. On exam, the eye is red with decreased vision, eyelid edema, and possibly with some corneal opacities. Fluorescent staining here is useful as it can help in etiology and assess for extent of injury. The next ocular emergency is herpes zoster ophthalmicus. This involves the ophthalmic division or V1 branch of the fifth cranial nerve. It can progress to a viral keratitis or aritis. It's often associated with erythematous vesicles in the temple region, periorbital structures, or the tip of the nose, also known as Hutchinson sign. Here, fluorescent staining is useful because it shows branching or dendritic corneal defect. Next, we have endophlemitis. Endophlemitis is due to a bacterial or fungal infection that causes inflammation of the vitreous or aqueous humor. The vitreous humor is the colorless, transparent, gel-like material between the retina and the lens. The aqueous humor is the clear fluid filling of the space in the front of the eye between the lens and the cornea. It can occur after ocular surgery, usually in the 2-7 to seven day post-op period, due to penetrating trauma, usually within 12-24 to 24 hours, or in the setting of ocular injections. There's an increased risk of endophlemitis in hospitalized patients, especially those with broad-spectrum antibiotics on board, TPN, or central access. It presents as pain, photophobia, and decreased visual acuity. The eye is often red with a hypopion. Next, we have dacrocystitis. This is infection of the nasolacrimal system. Symptoms include redness, swelling, and pain, and discharge of lacrimal ducts in the inner cornea of the eye. Risk factors include chronic sinusitis, typically from a staph or strep species. 
Last up for ophthalmological emergencies, we have orbital versus preorbital cellulitis. It's important to know the similarities between both and how to differentiate the two because orbital cellulitis is an ocular emergency, while preorbital cellulitis can be managed in the outpatient setting. Orbital cellulitis is due to the bacterial infection of the orbit, which is the fat and ocular muscles. Preorbital cellulitis, on the other hand, is infection of the soft tissue. The common traits between the two include that neither involve infection of the globe, both conditions present with a painful red eye, Risk factors for the two are bacterial rhinosinusitis, ocular trauma or surgery, or facial or dental infections. It's imperative to know how to determine between the two. If the infection has crossed the boundary from the periorbital skin and soft tissue past the orbital septum, well then this is orbital cellulitis. It's associated with decreased vision, painful extraocular movements, ophthalmoplegia, or proptosis, and is an ocular emergency. Preorbital cellulitis can be managed in the outpatient setting. We went through quite a bit of information regarding the urgent ophthalmologic evaluations and consults. Just remember that there are some worrisome features that can prompt this. Eye pain associated with focal headache, nausea, vomiting, visual loss, or photophobia. So let's move on to part three. What conditions are safe to be treated in the primary care setting? First up, and most common, is conjunctivitis. We'll discuss it in much more detail later. Conjunctivitis can be infectious or non-infectious. It involves the irritation of the conjunctiva, or that most superficial layer of the eye. Etiology is viral, bacteria, or allergic, for example. Presentation may be unilateral or bilateral. And it's often associated with itching, burning, irritation, and discharge. People with conjunctivitis may also have a viral upper respiratory system. But absent features are eye pain, photophobia, change in vision, and severe headache. Remember, those are the worrisome signs that we talked about that require an urgent optho evaluation. Next up is subconjunctival hemorrhage. This is heme under the conjunctiva due to a ruptured blood vessel typically in the setting of straining from protracted coughing or vomiting, hypertension, coagulopathy. This condition is usually asymptomatic, benign, and self-limited. Then we have blepharitis, inflammation of the eyelid. It's commonly associated with dermatologic conditions like seboric dermatitis or rosacea. It's chronic, usually has a gritty, irritated, burning sensation in the eye, worse upon wakening, associated with dandruff and loss of eyelashes. And again, we see that edema of the lid margins and crusted eyelids. Initial management is with warm compresses. You can wash the eyelashes with dilute baby shampoo, but if it's refractory, refer them to Optho. Next, we have pterygium. This is focal redness. It's Triangular conjunctival overgrowth. It usually extends from lateral to medial toward the cornea. It's commonly in patients with chronic ocular sun exposure. A lot of patients in California may have this, for example. It's usually asymptomatic and requires no intervention unless there's cornea involvement. Next up, we have the sty or hodellum. This is a superficial infection of a sebaceous gland of the eye usually due to a staph aureus infection. Initial treatment includes oral analgesics 
and frequent warm compresses. This can be compared to chalesia, which also causes eyelid hyperemia, edema, swelling, and pain. But this is non-infectious and due to gland occlusions. Then we have pinguecula. This is benign raised yellow or flesh-colored conjunctival nodules. Risk factors for this condition include chronic ocular sun exposure, and it's usually asymptomatic but may become acutely inflamed. Another pathology that we can manage in the primary care setting is corneal abrasion. This is disruption of the corneal epithelium. It's usually from trauma or foreign body. It causes irritation, tearing, mild photophobia, red eye, of course, and pain exacerbated by eye opening. The globe should be inspected, including eversion of the eyelid for foreign body. Here we would use fluorescent staining as well to visualize any abrasion and evaluate for a corneal foreign body. The foreign body may be flushed out, but usually requires removal by an ophthalmologist. So this is a group effort. Treatment can be managed with oral and topical NSAIDs. This can help the patient open the affected eye for evaluation. Topical anesthetics can also be used for comfort. Antibiotic drops and ointments are typically used to prevent infection. Infection can lead to bacterial keratitis until the cornea is healed. Eye patching and corneal abrasion is actually not recommended. Constrolled studies have found that patching does not improve symptoms or the rate of healing. Most abrasions heal within several days because of the rapid proliferation of epithelial cells. If pain is severe or if there is a visual disturbance that lasts more than 48 hours, consult ophthalmology. Next up, we have episcleritis. This involves a layer between the conjunctiva and the adjacent sclera. It may be idiopathic or associated with systemic autoimmune disease. Symptoms include redness caused by dilated superficial vessels. It is typically focal in the interpalpebral zone. This is the area visible when the eye is open, and it's accompanied by mild irritation. In episcleritis, we don't have visual disturbances, and pain is typically minimal or absent. When we compare scleritis and episcleritis, one distinguishing feature when comparing scleritis with episcleritis is whether the vessel injection resolves with topical vasoconstrictors, like phenylephrine. This occurs in episcleritis, but not scleritis, and can be done in the primary care setting to aid in diagnosis. Treatment for episcleritis or oral anti-inflammatories. Part 4, conjunctivitis. This is very commonly seen in the primary care setting. It's very important to look at pattern of progression, laterality, discharge, sick contacts to help determine which type of conjunctivitis is occurring and how to treat. Etiologies, like we talked about before, are infectious versus non-infectious. Infectious can be viral or bacterial. Viral are most common cause of infectious conjunctivitis, probably because it's so contagious, because it is spread very easily between people and on fomites. The most common type of infection is from the adenovirus and can occur after URI. As aforementioned, it presents with an itchy red eye. It can begin unilaterally, but then spread to both eyes very easily. There's no impairment of vision, pain, or photophobia. On exam, there's conjunctival hyperemia, edema, and often lid swelling. 
thin, watery discharge here, and sometimes preauricular lymph nodes may be present. The treatment is self-limited, and supportive care is important, artificial tears, cold compress, and of course, hand washing and hygiene to avoid spread of the virus. Next up for infectious causes of the conjunctivitis are bacterial causes. The discharge here is purulent, causing matting of the eyelashes and crusting of the lids. The most common organisms for bacterial conjunctivitis are gram-positives, Staph aureus, Streptomoniae, but gram-negative organisms can cause conjunctivitis as well, H. influenzae, for example. Treatment is usually self-limited, but antibiotics lead to a quicker recovery and are therefore useful. In fact, the 2012 Cochrane Review looked at just that and showed that clinical remission occurred quicker with early and late interventions versus placebo. So you'd use empiric topical treatment four times a day, drops like gentamicin, tobramycin, and fluoroquinolones work, or ointments like bacitracin and erythromycin. If there's no improvement in one week, you'd refer them to ophthalmology. Bacterial conjunctivitis can also further be broken down into hyperacute and chlamydial conjunctivitis. It's interesting because we always think of GC or gonorrhea and chlamydia together. Well, hyperacute bacterial conjunctivitis is caused by gonorrhea and is from sexually active individuals due to autoinoculation. It presents as an abrupt, rapid progression with such copious purulent discharge that it reaccumulates as soon as it's wiped away. You see a very red and inflamed conjunctiva here, possible eyelid swelling, and possible periauricular adenopathy. Treatment here, topical and systemic antibiotics, like ceftriaxone. If untreated, it can lead to corneal ulceration and possible perforation. Immediate referral to an ophthalmologist is warranted with this condition. So we just talked about gonorrhea, so up to chlamydia, chlamydial conjunctivitis can be split into two categories, trachoma and inclusion conjunctivitis. Both are caused by chlamydia trachomitis, but involve different serotypes. Active trachoma, for example, is asymptomatic and or could appear as chronic conjunctivitis, but over time with scarring, blindness can occur. In fact, this is the most common cause of permanent irreversible blindness worldwide, more in endemic areas and very rare in the U.S. It's easily spread through direct personal contact, fomites, and flies. Inclusion conjunctivitis is spread sexually due to contact with genital secretions and the eye. Here there's a non-purulent infection. There's a cobblestone appearance of the eye and prominent follicles in the inferior fornix. You can see this when you evert the bottom lid. Treatment here are topical and systemic antibiotics. You would also want an ophthalmologic evaluation here as well. Then there are the non-infectious causes of conjunctivitis, allergic versus keratoconjunctivis sicca. Both have thin discharge. Allergic conjunctivitis is seasonal, therefore Ig-mediated secondary to environmental allergens. It presents as a thin discharge. It's bilateral, and treatment are ocular antihistamines with a vasoconstrictor. Keratoconjunctivitis sicca is the rheumatologic dry eye. You see this in Sjogren's syndrome, rheumatoid arthritis, and SLE. 
Dry eyes can predispose to corneal abrasion, irritation, or ocular infection, scleritis, or anterior uveitis. It presents as bilateral red eyes with a gritty sensation. Treatment is supportive care with artificial tears and humidifiers. In refractory cases, however, you may look into a topical cyclosporin. I'll wrap up this lesson with the reminder of knowing that the presence of certain medical comorbidities is always important to understand, especially in the setting of the red eye, just like we talked about with keratoconjunctivus sicca and its relation to rheumatologic conditions. Here are some other concerning conditions that can have ocular manifestations that are either inflammatory or infectious. Remember Reiter's syndrome, can't pee, can't see, can't bend my knee or climb a tree. And then there's relapsing polychondritis. This is a multisystemic condition characterized by repeated episodes of inflammation and deterioration of cartilage. Certain vasculitides can also be associated with the red eye, as well as HIV, as we spoke about earlier. That was a lot, but thank you again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please follow us at Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Google Podcast. See you next week.